You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. I'm actually part of a group um, called the Attack Investigations Team. One of the main kind of objectives of our team is trying to identify and track APT-type groups. That's Alan Neville. He's a senior threat intelligence analyst at Symantec, located in Dublin. He's responsible for leading and documenting investigations into high-priority attacks. The research he's talking about covers the Sobug Cyber Espionage Group. So um, what we actually do is try leverage a lot of the telemetry that we receive in Semantic to be able to do that. So we look, basically hunt for um, new attacks, so unknown attacks. And as part of that kind of initiative to look for new attacks, this is where we first came across um, Sobug. Um, initially, we actually had a piece of, of malware um, submitted to us by a customer. And they had detected some kind of unusual activity um, on their network. And they had um, submitted it for kind of deeper analysis. And when we had the sample submitted to us, we had realized that it hadn't been known before. So it was something new. And this was around kind of early March. So we started taking a look and we realized kind of quickly that one, this is something we haven't seen before. Um, two, when we kind of cross references against telemetry to see where else we've seen this tool in our customer base, we've seen that it had a relatively kind of low profile. So it only had popped up in kind of a small number of victims. But we've seen that those number of victims have stretched back a large period of time. Hmm. Um, and that kind of piqued our interest, particularly for our group. So we knew this is something that this seems like super targeted. It's only hitting a subset of um, our customers. It's not something that's hitting consumers. It's, it seems to be only targeting a specific industry. And these are all kind of indicators for us that 
this is something that we need to look into further. Um, so that's what we did. So who are we targeting here? Is this a, an espionage situation? So initially, when we started, when we opened up this investigation, we had this piece of this backdoor, this malware. Uh, we knew that it was only hitting a very small number of our customers. Uh, when we start looking at kind of more kind of data surrounding that activity, we realized very quickly it seemed to be only targeting Ministry of Foreign Affairs in various countries. Mm. Um, and this was a big kind of thing for us. So we know that it's, it's, it's kind of exclusively hitting government and that's a big red flag. So that's something that we want to make sure that we know as much about as possible. We want to be able to kind of get protection in place for our customers and kind of figure out the big picture as such. So um, what additional tools that may be related to um, this backdoor, what activities the attackers are doing and kind of building up a timeline of kind of or a sequence of events of what the attackers do once they manage to install this backdoor. And this is the first port of call for us. Um, and this is where we were able to identify some of the motives um, behind the attackers. So, for example, there was one particular case in South America where we've seen a particular government get impacted. And this kind of gave us the most insight into the attackers and what they were actually after. And we've seen that they had installed the back door and they spent a little bit of time kind of poking around the network and kind of figuring out um, if, I suppose, the, the victim that they managed to get the back door on was of value, um, if they were able to identify some of those machines um, and kind of the high value target machines. So either servers that were hosting um, valuable information or confidential documents, and they kind of moved through the network. So they began by like dumping credentials, installing key loggers, and kind of using that information to pivot through the network until they basically um, found themselves on file servers. And they then began to um, collect documents so we could see them specifically executing commands through their back door, which was searching file servers of two departments that they seemed to be um, particularly interested in. And what they were doing was looking for any type of um, office document um, that was created or modified within specific time ranges. And we could even see at a second stage, they had retrieved those documents. They had added them to an archive. They had moved them off to attacker-controlled infrastructure. They obviously took a little bit of time sifting through that information. And either they came across something that they wanted to find more about or they didn't find really what they were looking for. And they returned again and they start issuing similar commands to then collect documents from a little bit further back again. The departments that they were actually kind of looking for information from the first one was basically a department which is responsible for handling um, relationships between that specific country and international organizations. Hmm. Um, they were also super interested in collecting documents from a department which is responsible for handling relationships with other countries, um, specifically in Asia and Oceania regions. So does that uh, point in a particular direction when it comes to attribution? Were you able to make any conclusions there? So it doesn't really. So um, so far, all we really know is that we have this group. Um, they're specifically targeting kind of government, like so basically organizations that are responsible for foreign policy. Mm. Um, we know that the targets or these victims are in these regions. So we see a lot of victims in um, Latin America or South America, and we see them in Southeast Asia as well. From our analysis, we were able to kind of like pull apart the malware. We had looked for any kind of technical indicators or even operational indicators that would kind of suggest origin, mm -hmm. but um, we weren't able to identify kind of any substantial or kind of um, evidence that would suggest where this is actually coming from. Mm. 
Let's dig into some of the technical details here. How, how does it work? So what we actually found was in a lot of victims, um, we basically see this back door being installed. Um, we were unable to identify the vector, um, so we don't really know how they're getting onto these machines in the first place. Uh, when we start digging through the data a little bit further, we found in some cases they were using this additional tool, which we dubbed Starloader. Um, this tool is essentially used to um, open up a file on the infected machine. It decrypts that file and it loads and tries to execute the code that's stored in that file. Um, and we could see that tool, Starloader, being used to install some additional tools. So we had key loggers, for example, being installed. We had credential dumping tools. and But we, we also seen them deploy this backdoor of Philismus tool as well. We think that Starloader is likely the first stage that they use. So they may try to get onto these machines to install Starloader, and then they use Starloader to kind of identify high um, kind of value targets. So basically trying to determine, is this victim of interest to us? Do we have the ability to move or find the machines that contain the information that we're interested in? And once they do that, they deploy uh, backdoor.philismus, which gives, gives them kind of a lot more flexibility in being able to like execute commands, upload or download um, files and things like that. And while they're doing this, they manage to keep a pretty low profile. Yeah, so we were able to, for example, kind of have a look at when they were active within their victims. So any activity, so any commands that were being issued through these backdoors. And what we actually seen was they specifically were only active on these networks outside of standard working hours for these victim countries. Mm -hmm. So we could see like after about like 6 or 7 p.m. in the evening, usually when people are kind of finished up, gone home, you see them becoming a little bit active. Um, so issuing a couple of commands, kind of figuring out where they are. And then you'll see activity ramp up until like around midnight or one, two, three in the morning. And that's kind of peak their activity. From then on, it kind of drops. And then we see that they leave the network alone, basically not to tip off anyone that they've been active on the machines. And the fact that they've been active and around for so long. So like these guys have been targeting these type of institutions since I think the earliest activity we found was around mid to or early 2015. And it's likely they've been even active um, before this. And they're also being clever with the way that they're naming some of their files to try to keep them below the radar, yes? Correct, yeah. So in a lot of cases when they're installing um, Philismus, this backdoor tool onto victim machines, they're essentially masquerading or impersonating legitimate software to do so. So for example, they might pretend to be Adobe Reader, um, in which case they'll install their backdoor into a file path, which looks like legitimate Adobe Reader, but it's actually just like one directory or one level um, kind of above where you'd find the real file. Um, so for all intents and purposes, when people are going through their machines or looking at active processes, they'll just see what looks to be a legitimate piece of software running, um, which essentially is kind of to help them kind of remain or keep that low profile. So in terms of uh, people detecting this and protecting themselves against it, what are your recommendations? For protection or kind of mitigation even, my advice would be, first of all, is update any AV um, clients that you have. Um, AV clients and network clients are going to be the ones that are going to have all the protection in place. We, as a team, we share all this information, not only with other security researchers um, and internal teams within Symantec, but we also share it with likes of other certs and impacted victims. And we kind of give them the information and the kind of ability and um, detection guidance that they need to be able to write signatures. So it's not just um, for our own customers, it's for everyone out there. And that's one of the reasons why we 
publish this type of information. We provide these indicators of compromise um, freely as part of our blog publications so that it's not just semantic customers that can protect themselves, other, others can take this information um, and implement it within their products to protect their own customer base as well. And it's interesting just how targeted this uh, attack is. This is not widespread. This is not hitting consumers. These folks seem to know exactly who they're after. Yeah, and it's likely that they're using this two-stage approach. So like installing um, Starloader and then later installing Philismus, basically to not deploy kind of their good tools. So they, they're targeting these um, institutions or these organizations and they're only using kind of a first-stage kind of throwaway tool as such. Um, some simplistic tool that's just used to load um, some shell code or kind of malicious code to be able to um, install some tools. And then it seems like they'll, they'll take their time in profiling these networks or profiling these machines they can get onto, ensure that they're actually on the correct networks or have access to these victims that they're targeting. It's only at that point you'll see them kind of deploy um, this backdoor off Lismas tool. So they're very careful in making sure they're in the correct places or in, have the correct victims. From your point of view, can you take us through the, the process, uh, I guess sort of the strategy of allowing uh, someone like this to make their way through a system so that you can see what they're up to, you know, rather than immediately booting them out of the network? So for the likes our specific investigation, a lot of this information we were actually able to pull was from historic activities. Mm. So we have the ability to kind of go back in time to our telemetry and we're able to piece together a timeline of activity and it's this is kind of after the fact so this is how we were able to see that we had victims back from kind of early 2015 where we seen that first activity and we we're able to build kind of an idea or, or that timeline and kind of add pieces to it as we see what type of activities they've performed across those different victims and from the point when we actually identify the back door we add protection in at that point in time um, and then we inform customers who have been um, either compromised or, or still have active infections of what we know at that point in time. Um, it's only after kind of we build up this big picture that we kind of can share more information. And once we have all the kind of pieces or as much pieces that we can gather, we publish that information. So even though we were able to kind of publish a lot of information about the group, um, there is some elements that we still don't know. So like I mentioned before, we still don't really know the vector, so how they're actually getting onto the, these machines. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we opened up to the wider community. So other research, so if they see kind of other elements or other parts of that, that they can help us fill those gaps, we totally invite them to do that. So looking at the research, what are some of the key takeaways for you? Yeah, so, so like some of the key takeaways for us is that Sobug was essentially an unknown group um, that was conducting highly targeted cyber attacks against organizations in South America and Southeast Asia. Uh, we know that the group themselves have been heavily um, focusing on foreign policy institutions um, and diplomatic targets, so a lot of Ministry of Foreign Affairs in this case. Um, and we know from some of the activities we were able to piece together from the timeline, they were performing like a classic espionage attack. So essentially stealing documents um, specifically from uh, departments that were responsible for handling relationships with international organizations and departments that were uh, responsible for handling uh, relationships with other countries, um, specifically in Asia and Oceania regions. We know that they've been sp very good at keeping a low profile. So the group have been around for um, a long time. We we were able to find that them indicators that they were active since at least 2015. And it's, it's likely they've been active before this as well. But unfortunately, we're still not really sure of who the group are, so where they're originating from. Um, and it's something that we're still 
looking at in terms of keeping that investigation open and trying to identify any additional kind of indicators that can help us do that. We've also published this blog um, kind of sharing some of the indicators about it. So some of the hashes that we've seen um, for the tools that they use and kind of details of the attacker's activities. In the blog, we kind of discuss as much as we, we can the bits and pieces that we we're able to put together to kind of fill in that big picture. Um, but there obviously are some gaps there. So we have like no idea, for example, how they're initially getting onto these machines, um, even though we know some of the kind of initial tools that they do use. And we would hope that um, other security researchers would be able to kind of assist us in that and filling those gaps. Um, if they were able to use that, those IOCs or any of the information we're able to share to be able to um, cross-reference against their own systems, and they can provide additional information, we, we completely invite that in. Um, it's something that we, we'd um, greatly appreciate and love working with other people to be able to fill those kind of gaps and kind of get that um, additional perspective or insight. Our thanks to Alan Neville from Symantec for joining us. You can find the complete report on the SoBug Cyber Espionage Group on the Symantec website. It's in their blog section. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.